the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. As a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, a broker, dealer, and registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Satera is under separate ownership from Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Rosenthal Wealth Management Group is located at 9265 Corporate Circle in Manassas, Virginia, and can be reached at 703-330-3100. Chris McKay is not affiliated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, nor Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Bob Jones is a marketing assistant of Rosenthal Wealth Management Group and is associated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Well, welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show. And here he is live in studio and live on LarryRosenthal.tv on YouTube. Larry Rosenthal himself. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Chris. And how are you today? Uh, so far, so good. I heard a little baseball talk early on YouTube this morning. So Very little, yep. But it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. Yep, yep, definitely. We have a, a knockdown, drag out fantasy league going on in our in our office there you go there so you we're go. already starting on it yep yep and a little exactly. trash talk going on i heard that a little bit earlier that's so okay that's, that's how it okay. works yep yep <laughs> well good morning everybody and welcome welcome to making money sense i'm larry rosenthal I'd like to continue to welcome our longtime listeners on wava in the dc baltimore area as well as our longtime listeners now it's been a handful of years has been. on sirius xm nationwide family uh family talk channel 131 and you can tune in live at larry LarryRosenthal.tv on YouTube to check it out. Uh, how we live stream, live stream, <laughs> not, not scream, right? We how we live too. stream the show each week. Yep. Yeah. And then you can go to our website, LarryRosenthal.com, and uh, check out uh, the the uh, you know past past shows and and webinars and all different types of things that are that would be going up there. So, um, hey, you know what? It's Saturday again. It is. Which you know what that means. It's open mic Saturday, which means no questions barred at all. Give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123, with any of your financial planning, estate planning, taxes, mortgages, real estate, insurance, whatever's on your mind today. Give us a call with, with what's going on in the markets, the economy, the banks, the Fed, the budget, all kinds of stuff. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Well, Chris, the question is this. Has the Fed gone too far, or has the Fed not gone far enough? That is the question. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? You know, you've, you we've seen now for a year 
It was March of 2022 when the Fed started raising interest rates. They went a quarter point, then up to a half, then three quarters, and they just kept on going. Anyway, the Fed funds rate went from zero, basically, now to 4.75 to 5, 5%, right? So where are we? Have we gone too far? Has the Fed tightened the screws down on the economy enough? Or have they not gone far enough? Inflation, we've seen peak in June of 2022. We've seen it come down now to 6% from 9.1. That's a pretty good reduction. But will inflation continue to cascade down? Or will inflation start to move back up again? You know, what? where are we? Has the Fed gone too far or not far enough? And the only way to find out that question, the only way to find out the answer to that question, excuse me, is to pause, is for the Fed to stop raising rates. Now, this past week, Jerome Powell uh, and the Fed, they raised rates a quarter point, okay? But they did hint to a pause, and that pause may be coming quicker than what they anticipated because things are starting to break. You take a look at some of the, the bank scenarios here. Things are starting to break. Now, we can get into that, and we talked all about that last week, about there was management issues and all kinds of stuff and errors on, on managing bank assets and stuff like that. And we can go down that road again if we want, if the call, you know, if callers want to talk, continue to talk about it. But bottom line here is, has the Fed gone too far or not far enough? So here's the scenario. And I've been talking about this for a long time now, and we're right here. We're right on the doorstep knocking. The Fed has been raising rates, and now they're going to get to a pause. Are they going to pause at their next meeting in the beginning of May, or is it going to be June? At that point, they're going to pause. And then they have to sit back, and they have to wait a handful of months to see how the economy uh, reacts, how inflation reacts, and then they'll be able to know if they've gone far enough or too far. Okay. Right now, the economy is still strong. The underpinnings of the economy are still strong. So that leads us to believe the Fed may not have gone far, too far at this point, which is good. But remember this. Every time there's a change in monetary policy as far as raising rates up or down, it takes several months for that to actually impact the economy. Are the gears of the economy, do they still have enough grease in them to continue to go, or has the Fed gone too far? And that's the question at hand. We will know this in the coming months, in the summer months, definitely, uh, with, without a doubt. We need the Fed to pause, sit back, and then see if they've gone too far or if they need to go again. Okay, That's where we are in this, in this cycle. So we are just about at the end of this rate-rising cycle. We're not there yet, but we are just about there, okay? And I know I've been saying we're not there yet for a couple of months, but we are really close right now, knocking on the door. And the markets will most likely celebrate that because we will have clarity of direction as to the cost of capital going forward. If you wanted to finance a truck or a car or a home or, or a college or whatever it is, you'll know what cost of capital is. Hey, give us a ring this morning at 855-ROSE-123. Let's welcome Kathy on the line from South Carolina. Whoop, are you there, Kathy? I'm here. Can Hello? you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How can I help you? <clears throat> uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband and I, were he's 65, I'm 63, 
and we have some money put away, not a huge amount, but we constantly watching it dwindle down to nothing uh, over the past several well year. And my question is, we owe about a hundred thousand on our home. Would we be better off taking some money out of our retirement, paying the house off, and then paying ourselves back? My concern is with the the way the government keeps printing money that. Um, and here and talk about a global reset and, uh, you know, moving to a Biden digital money plan that is not going to be there when we are able to retire and to have a home paid for would at least give us a place to live and have that security for our family. Kathy, this is a, this is a question that we get often and, 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 um, let me preface this by saying I, I'm going to need to get a lot more information before I give you an answer to this. But okay. if you take $100,000 out of your investments today okay, and, and pay down your mortgage, so now you have no mortgage payment on the house, you still have maintenance, utilities, and taxes, insurance, and, and, and all that on the house, right? So you still are going to have payments on that house. It's not going to be free. That's the first thing. Correct. The second thing is if you take $100,000 out of an investment account, is it coming from an IRA or a non-IRA? IRA. So you're going to have to pull out more money than $100,000 in order to net the $100,000, right? So let's suppose you have to pull out $130,000, just to do math easy, in order to net the, the uh, $100,000 after tax to pay the house off, right? So, so if that okay. money, if that money would have stayed in the investment account of the IRA, and if it would have earned seven percent, seven point four percent actually, okay, seven point two, excuse me, in ten years, that money would be worth two hundred sixty thousand dollars. In twenty years, okay, it'd be worth five hundred twenty thousand dollars. The rule of seventy-two compound interest; it keeps doubling every ten years, right? if you get 7%. So the question becomes this, can your cash flow continue to afford to pay down the house on, on making your normal monthly payments, keeping your money invested? That's the way the calculator will attack this question. Okay, The calculator will tell you, keep your money invested and make your payments on the home. That's what the calculator says. Now, I used to teach a, a, a class on the nine different ways to kind of attack this question, nine different ways to manage equity inside of your home. And, and so the, set, the other side of that is, well, wait a minute. From a financial planning perspective, just listening to the calculator, that's the, right, that's the way to, to, go, to go about it. But the real world is now you're sitting here saying, hey, you know what? For whatever reason, we want to have our home paid for in retirement. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But before we say, yes, let's do that, let's make sure that you don't become house rich and cash poor. In other words, you could have your home paid for, but not enough money to go to the beach for on vacation because all of your money is tied up in wood, bricks, mortar, and steel, right, inside, inside the, uh, the home. So, so that's the balancing act. That's the question that we have to ask. And then another question is, is this the forever home? Are you going to stay in this home forever? Is, is this the, going to be the retirement home? <laughs> that's the idea, but, you know, okay, so ultimately, 
we, we never know, but if that's the plan, right? right, if that's the plan to stay in the home, you know, f- fine. And and so there's there's a lot of advisors out there that will say, you know, never pay your home off, and a lot of them say pay it off as soon as possible. And and I've seen I've seen it work both ways. There are some people that need to have a small, manageable mortgage in retirement. Others need to have the home paid for. But my point is this: is that when you when, when we sit down and take a look at your overall financial plan on all of this, those are the questions we have to address, okay? And then another question is you have to ask you and your, your, your husband, are you disciplined enough to repay back all this money from this IRA plus the taxes in a timely enough manner so that when you do get to retirement, you can produce income to go on the vacations dur- during the summertime? And, and things like that. So so there's a little bit of a formula here. A lot of it is based off of how much you can afford to save. And quite frankly, here's another way. If you're going to look to, to save that mortgage payment each month, why not just keep your money invested and then double up your mortgage payments, right? So there's a... Okay, there's, that would be my next question is, yeah, would it be better to do that than double up on the mortgage payment alone? Then? So... Um, from that standpoint, yes. Now you're going to keep your principal of that $130,000 invested growing. And remember this, when you, when you look at all this on a spreadsheet, and I can show you how to do that, mortgages are simple interest on declining balances, and investments are compound interest on appreciating sums. So you have a declining balance working, at, working with you on simple interest versus compounding interest over time in your investments, and that investment's growing tax-deferred, right? So, so, so there you go. And then if you say, well, hey, w- wait a minute, let me take a look at doubling up my mortgage payments to accelerate down the balance, that's great too. But at the same time, then I want to introduce something to you called a mortgage endowment plan. By 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 in a at a starting point, if you take a 30-year mortgage and you put one extra payment into it a year, so you're cramming 13 months of payments in a 12-month calendar time frame, you'll knock that down to roughly 21 years from 30. Okay, but if you put the money into a mortgage endowment plan, you could take it down as as far as as uh, uh, you know several more years. And a mortgage endowment plan is this is instead of putting the money into the mortgage, you simply put it into, well, take a look at government treasury bonds right now, paying a little under, a little, you know, 4 or 5% interest, right? Okay? So, so now you're getting a compounding interest on appreciating sums. So see how that money, so, so instead of putting the money inside the house, you're, keep, you're, you're, you're putting those extra payments in an investment, even if it's just in a bank account earning 2 or 3% interest, you're going to win over time. And then you can pull that money out and pay down the mortgage. So, so there's, four oh, or five, okay. yeah, there's four or five different strategies at hand that you can really go about looking at how to attack this scenario. Because ultimately, what I hear you saying is, you know, we want to make sure that our house is secure and safe, that nobody can ever take it away from you, right? And people can lose their homes in retirement even though it's paid for because they can't afford to pay the tax on the house. So as long as you're making that mortgage payment, whether it's coming from a dividend interest in your investment accounts 
or wherever you'll be doing it. But there's nothing wrong with having your home paid for in retirement. Let me tell you that, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. I'm a fan of having as little overhead debt as possible. But these are the different avenues that we need to sit down and take a look at before we make the decision on which one to, to do next, okay? So if you like, I'll be happy to send you out some information uh, uh, we, on, on, on you know, how to accelerate down your mortgage payments, taking a look at the, the opportunity cost between pulling the dollars out uh, versus paying the taxes and, and letting it grow there. So if you want, Kathy, I'll be happy that to put – Yep, definitely. That I'll put you on hold here. Helpful. Thank you. Uh -huh. I'll put you on hold, and Bob will get your contact information. We'll have one of our advisors reach out to you next week and set up a time when we can sort of explain all this to you, okay? Thank you. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You have a great weekend. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. It is Open Mic Saturday. No questions barred at all. Give us a call with anything that's on your mind. We'll be back in a moment with more Making Money Sense. to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. Now nationwide and coast-to-coast coast from sea to shining sea, call now, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Right, welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123 is the number to call. That's 855-ROSE-123. Talk to that guy. If you're watching on LarryRosenthal.tv, Mr. Larry Rosenthal himself, Larry. Sure, Chris. Sure. 
You know, the Lord talked in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what is the purpose? What is the role of money in our life? You know, uh, is it something that can become, come, become competition with our relationship with the Lord if we let it get in between him and us? You know, what, what, what does the world say that money provides us with? Prestige, power, influence, you know, whatever it may be. That's just the wrong way to go about using it. It, it can be used as a good tool to serve. Think about that. It can be used as a good tool to serve. In, in Proverbs three twenty-seven and 28, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. You know, so think about that. You know, how can we use the resources, the blessings, the assets that the Lord's given us to further his kingdom, to help, right? You know, to, to, to lead people to the Lord. So, so. Stop and think about that. You know, we talk a lot about money on this show and a lot about wealth accumulation and managing it and reducing taxes and estate planning, just the whole nine yards. But also we need to keep center focus on whose it is, and it's the Lord's. Our role is stewardship with it all, definitely. <clears throat> so, hey, each week, you know, we get questions emailed in and, and people call the, the office with, with questions. And every once in a while I like to gather up some of these questions. And, and um, Is this where Bob sings the email song? Yep, the email song. Right, You've Bob. got mail. Yep, there you go, Bob. <laughs> exactly. So I thought this week I'd grab uh, some some questions that we've had in the past uh, that that have come in. You know, is it better to have an ETF? This this question goes: Is is in a non-IRA account? Is it better to have an ETF or a mutual fund? And the 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 premise of this question goes: It, go, it can go on and on here. Is you know, an ETF is more tax efficient today, whereas a mutual fund sometimes will pay out a capital gain distribution, right? And that becomes taxable to you. So, so think about this for a second. In a mutual fund, you have a fund manager, his and her team, and all year long they're buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. They're buying all these different stocks and or bonds throughout the year. To help obtain, to help achieve the objective of that mutual fund's goal, right? Whereas an ETF is more of a static portfolio. It's going to buy an index or a sector or something like that. Not a lot of transactions. And if there are some dividends and things in there, it can be reinvested more tax efficiently than in a mutual fund. So the question is this if you put, you know, $100,000 into an ETF, right? And which is an exchange-traded fund, and five years later, let's say, or whatever, somewhere down the road, it's worth $150,000, and you decide to sell it at that point, and if it's in a non-IRA account, non-tax-deferred account, at that moment, you have to pay capital gains taxes on that $50,000 of gain, right? Well, the opposing view here is, well, if you had money in a mutual fund, and you put that same $100,000 into that mutual fund, and the same length of time later, it grew to $150,000, and then you sold it all off, what would be your capital gain tax at that point? It wouldn't be, it, in most cases, it would not be that $50,000 worth of growth because in a mutual fund, let's just suppose each year you received you know, $5,000 of capital gains distributions, so now you've paid tax along the way of $25,000. So when you went to sell it off, you would end up paying 
tax on just the difference between 125 and 150. And there's two schools of thoughts out there, and ETFs are very well marketed from a tax-efficient standpoint. I get that and understand that, okay? But there's also still a lot of people out there that say, well, wait a minute here. I'd rather pay a little bit of tax along the way because when they get that capital gain distribution, the money reinvests back into that mutual fund when the share value goes down. So they're buying the shares even cheaper and then they get to reestablish a new cost basis for that year's distribution and reinvestment. So, you know, not all that glitters is gold all the time, right? And you really have to sit down and take a look at your whole tax scenario. You know, oftentimes we, we will help guide clients through these tax scenarios with their investment strategies. So, you know, it's, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, depending on which side of the street you're looking at both ways okay that's just looking at the tax treatment there and you know and that opens up a whole nother scenario too of 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 all the different ways that that you can save money in tax or reduce money i should say in taxes in your investments the way the irs views all of our dollars through 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 you know the different buckets of taxation on the different types of an accounts so if you, you know, I have a, I have a whole kit, uh, a whole PDF kit on the differences between mutual funds and ETFs. If you want to get a copy of that, just go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, and shoot us off an email. We'll be happy to send that kit out to you. We've sent lots of those out because it's a very popular question. Um, it, it really is, you know, and, and um, uh, so, so, yeah, just feel, feel free to do that. Go to our website, LarryRosenthal.com. Shoot us an email. You'd like to get a copy of the ETF and mutual fund breakdown on the differences between the two types of products, you know, as far as that goes. So, which is another thing, too. What about product diversification? We definitely want to have product diversification, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, et cetera, et cetera, inside your portfolio. So, you know, and, and if you ever want to get questions answered, um, uh, you know, again, Feel free, go to the website, LarryRosenthal.com. Shoot us off some emails. We'll be happy to bring those questions in, or, or we just we send out a lot of information throughout the week. But today I just thought I'd gather up a couple of them here. Another question was, explain stepped-up basis. <clears throat> and, yes, they, they did not pass the change on this, so this question's a little bit behind um, in the secure in, – in, uh, uh, in uh, President Biden's one of his um, – proposals when he first came into office was to get rid of stepped-up bases, but that didn't fly at all. And stepped-up bases works like this. If you have a, a, uh, a non-IRA investment account, let's say you put $200,000 into it and it grows to two fifty, and you pass away, and your, then your heirs will re be able to receive that $250,000, and they get a stepped up in the cost basis. So they can sell it off at two fifty and not pay any tax on that $50,000 of gain. Now, if you had put their name on the account, you know, and, and oftentimes this happens, some, the surviving spouse may put their adult children's name on the account just to make the transition easier should something happen. Then that adult child will have to pay taxes on the difference between the $250,000 versus the $50,000 capital gain on that account. Uh, and, and that's because when you add somebody to the account, they assume your original cost basis. So there's other ways, more efficient ways, you add a TOD beneficiary to it or you put it into a trust or, or just different ways that you can minimize and, and, and ensure 
that your air is going to get that stepped-up basis. So, you know, when you stop and you break down, uh, and a lot of these questions here are, are uh, uh, centering around taxes. You know, I, I got another question. Will Congress get rid of the Roth IRA? Because, you know, this question goes on about somebody wanting to say, well, look at our deficit and, and look at the debt ceiling and, and, and our debt just keeps going up, up and up. You know, is Congress going to get rid of the Roth IRA and, and, and then make us all pay taxes on that money when we pull it out? You know, if, if anything, the recent SECURE Act 2.0 really uh, enhanced or really cemented the the Roth IRA into the the fabric of our investment communities here, you know, in, into the tax code. So I don't see that happening down the road. And remember, the Roth IRA was originally invented back in the late '90s uh, to generate tax income, to generate revenue into the uh, into the Treasury. Simply because it's up front, pres- though. It's yeah, President yeah. Clinton needed to pull dollars out or, or needed to raise revenue. He needed to raise taxes, and he didn't. So they created the Roth IRA, thinking, well, if we can get so many people to convert such amount into the Roth IRA, that'll generate tax revenue. And he gave us four years to pay the pay the tax on that conversion. And then President Obama came along in 2010 and did the same thing. He, he said, hey, if you want to make a conversion this year, I'll give you two years to pay the tax on it. Hmm. You know, So the Roth IRA is, is a tool used to generate revenue to the Treasury – when they give us incentives, like in the in the uh, uh, Secure Act 2.0 here that just passed, uh, there were some there's some oper- operate, uh, opportunities for people to get more money into Roth IRAs, but it comes at the cost of a tax uh, for higher income earners through your payroll system. So, uh, but anyway, lots of questions. You know, feel free to give us a ring eight five five Rose one two three. It's open mic Saturday. Any questions on your mind at all? Estate planning, investments, your four hundred one k. Give us a quick ring. It's the bottom of the hour. We got to take a quick break here. Listen to make money sense, Larry Rosenthal show. I'll be back in a moment. Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More making money sense in a moment. And here's another money minute with Larry Rosenthal. We've all heard the more risk you get, the more opportunity there is for growth in returns in your investments. However, can you have too much risk in your investments so that you get diminishing returns? You can only water ski behind one boat at a time. Make sure your risk-adjusted return is aligned with your investment objectives. seen and heard him on Fox Business, CNBC, and the Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Larry Rosenthal here in the studio with us. Give us a call. Sure, Chris. Maybe we should talk about baseball. It's right around the corner, right? (laughs) 
We can talk about baseball, but, you know, with Bob on the phone, you'd probably have a short talk. Because I'm not This really is true. This is very true. <laughs> no go very no doubt about it. Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hey, so, you know, in taking a look at, at these questions that have come in, and, again, that's what I'm going, going over today, just lots of fun. I've got some questions. Uh-oh. Larry yep, has I've questions. I've got some questions. That's right. exactly right. Stop and think about this for a second. You know, when you, when you take a look at, at financial planning, the, the, the entire thing, your taxes, estates, wealth management, investments, all that kind of stuff, I've got some questions. There, there's 130 points inside of a financial plan that can be discussed. Most people end up discussing about 64 of them, okay? Um, that's that still a big you, conversation. That <laughs> is a very big and long car conversation, yeah. no, no doubt about that, right? Uh, but I've got some questions. On a scale of 1 through 10, 1 being the least uh, confident, 10 being the most confident, explain your buy-sell decision process, right? What is your decision process on why you buy something, why you own something, and when you sell something? Stop and think about that while I pick up some callers here. Let's go ahead and welcome Terry on the line from Maryland. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How can I help you? Um, my question is about retirement. Um, I'll be 62 this year, and I'm planning to retire from my job. Um, I'll have 38 years in, and the question is, it's like, it's exciting, but it's scary, too, because it's like you see the amount that you're making now, and then you're going to make like half of it when you retire. It's like, okay, <laughs> where do I start here? And the question is about uh, the TSP, Social Security, because first you're going to retire from the company you're working from, and then I should contact Social Security next. But what about the TSP? Do I take the whole thing out, or what do I do with that? Well, what we first need to do is sort of draw a line in the sand and ask the question here. When you retire, your income from your pensions from the FERS, Federal Employee Retirement System, and Social Security, is that going to cover your monthly expenses? That's the first question we have to ask, right? And then the second question is, if not, how do we supplement that? How do we supplement that gap? Let's suppose that you need, I don't know, five grand a month and you, don't, and you have three grand coming in. How do we supplement those $2,000 a month, right? Okay. Right. That's, the first, that's the first question. Then the next question is, let's take, take a look at all of your savings and investments and see how they can produ best produce income to supplement that. If you don't have that gap, then the question becomes, okay, what do I do with these savings? Well, let's just keep them growing for a while because maybe, you know, in retirement, remember, you know, on the average, every seven years, you might get a new car. You'll also want to go on vacation, travel, do all different types of things, maybe with the grandkids and stuff like that. So, so we have to build those things into this question. Think about it from this perspective, Terry. You're on sort of a, a, a financial planning timeline from, from birth to when you go to heaven, right? And just because you retire, yes, that is a major event, and we'll talk about your, your question on that, being scared in just a second. But that is a major event in your life, but that doesn't mean life's over with, right? We're just moving on to the next chapter in life. And so we have to make sure that our resources are aligned for those objectives and goals. As far as money that's inside the TSP or any old employer retirement, for that matter, <clears throat> there's, there's five things you can do. You can keep it there. 
You can pull it all out, pay taxes on it, and that's very expensive and most likely unwise. You can roll it over to an IRA, which is the most popular. You can convert it to a Roth there, or you can get another job and roll it into that new company, right? Most people end up rolling it over to their own IRA for many different reasons, okay? It gives you better investment control, uh, choices of investments and things like that. You know, when you look at the TSP, it's a great funding vehicle. It's a great accumulation vehicle, not such so much as an income distribution vehicle. You have the CGFS and I funds, and they don't really deliver a lot of dividends to you to, 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 to live off of in retirement years. So that's another aspect that we would have to um, uh, sit down and take a look at. But, but, the big, but when you talk about being scared about moving into retirement, you have to gain confidence in your cash flow, and that will take the scared part away. Because you're looking at behavioral finance here. What you're doing is basically saying, hey, for, for X number of decades, I've had a paycheck coming in every single you know, pay period. And now, boom, that paycheck stops. Do I have enough resources to sustain my standard of living is the real question. And the only way to find that out is basically draw a line in the sand and build together a financial plan to take a look at all the different things that I just talked about. Dig deep into your cash flow, your goals, objectives, and things like that. We'll bring to the table for you unexpected expenses. We'll take a look at Social Security timing. When should you take your Social Security, right? Should you defer more or take it early? How best to manage the dollars to produce the income for any gap that you may have? Make sure things are coming to you in, a, in the most tax-efficient manner during your retirement years. So, so basically what I hear you saying is, is we need to basically sit down and, and develop a financial plan and take a look at, you know, where you are and how best to maintain your current standard of living going forward. So I can send you out our financial planning toolkit if you like, and that will get you started. Bob will get your information, yeah. and, and we'll have someone reach out to you next week and get you started on a financial plan, okay? Yes, great. Okay, well, let me go ahead and do Thank that. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate the phone call. Let me put you on hold here real quick. If you listen to Making Money Sense, give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. You know, and that's, that's you know, I, I want to commend Terry for calling and asking that question. It's a difficult s scenario. It's a difficult time. It's a, it's a challenge when you're sitting down and you're going, okay, I'm getting ready to punch that button on retirement, and I'm going to walk away from a paycheck that I have had confidence in for many, many years. How do I know if I'm going to be okay financially to sustain my standard of living? And the industry, my industry, asks this question wrong all the time. They do. They ask it wrong, and Terry asked it correctly. But my industry always says, you know, You've got to accumulate X amount, or, or my industry always says, you know, how much do you want, that type of thing. We've got to change that narrative. We've got to change the narrative from, you know, how much do you want each month to are you comfortable, do you like, do you enjoy, do you want to maintain your current standard of living? When you retire, do you want to maintain your current standard of living? When you retire, do you want to reduce your standard of living? When you retire, do you want to increase your standard of living? That's a whole lot different than how much do you need each month or make sure you save your whole life till you get to this number here, right? No, uh-uh. 
there gets to the point in life when you have to realize this question. Am I getting, how do I phrase this? Am I getting the value out of life given the resources that I have, the value that I want to have? Am I pouring into the relationships with my family and friends? Is money being used properly so that I can enjoy life rather than am I working, am I doing life for money? And that's the wrong attitude with this stuff. And that's when you sit down and really you take a hard look at your financial plan, okay, and, and, and see that. And, and let me tell you this, too. A lot of times, a lot of times we'll bring on new clients and we ask them, have you had a financial plan? They say, yeah, you know, back in 2018, my advisor ran a financial plan. Okay, well, where's the updated one? Well, we haven't looked at it then, since then. We, we, we don't pay attention to it. You know, we, we, we did it and now we're just going. No, no. No, you, you should be reviewing that plan a couple of times a year. You really should be, especially as you're moving closer to retirement and in retirement years. Remember, there's three phases of financial planning. There's the accumulation phase when you're growing your, 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 your assets, the distribution phase, which is what Terry is getting ready to move into, which is one of the most taxing and complicated phases. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to take your, your resources and they got to produce income for you for 30 years, right? That money needs to come from a reliable, dependable source in the most tax-efficient manner to maintain your standard of living, providing you want to maintain it or increase it or reduce it, whatever your goal or objective is, and then pass those assets on to heirs, charities, or the IRS because those are the three places that it's going to go, heirs, charities, or the IRS. So, hey, again, give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855 855- Seven six seven three one two three. So now I'm asking questions. You know, yes, y'all you email are. me each week with questions. That's great. I'm asking questions, some self-examining questions on a scale of comfortability. One being not comfortable at all. Ten being extremely comfortable. I asked, are you comfortable with your buy-sell decision process? Are you comfortable with the mutual funds or the ETFs that you have? Do you know what you own? One of the most overlooked questions that people put, that people don't ask themselves when they're making an investment is, what has to go right for this investment to work the way I want it to work, and what has to go wrong for this investment eh, to not work out so well, right? What is your process? How do you break down if you're going to buy a mutual fund, an ETF, a UIT, a stock, whatever it might be, an individual bond or a bond fund or a BCD or whatever it might be, what is your process to determine the product? And then what is your process to determine the asset class? Should you be in small company growth stocks internationally or domestic? Should you be in emerging markets? Should you be in large cap value stocks? What's the objective? What's the purpose? Well, since you're asking those questions, can I ask one in return on that? Sure. I mean, how do you uh, sort of recognize whether to buy a stock or buy a mutual fund or, or which direction do you go? How do you do Is that based on your plan, Mason, maybe? Or? So it's based on a handful of things. You know, first of all, we have to be on top of what the economy is doing. You know, what's happening in the economy, Chris? The economy is either doing one or two things. It's either expanding or it's contracting. That's it. The economy either expands or contracts, okay? So what is the economy doing now? The economy is being forced to contract 
but it's still showing expansion at the same time. It's itching to get up there, isn't it? You it think? is. Yeah. You know, the, the unemployment numbers, wages are just starting to soften now, but they're still strong, and the consumer is still st- showing up strong. But the economy is, it has been in a contraction mode. So in a contraction mode, what happens with the bond market? What happens with your fixed income, with interest rates? That's one sleeve in your portfolio. Then you take a look at your equities. Do we want to be domestic, international, emerging markets, developed international, you know, all different places there. Asset allocation, selecting the right asset class, you know, mid-cap growth, large-cap value, international, whatever it may be, that still makes up for over 92% of your portfolio's long-term rate of return. So being in the right asset class based off of either expansion or contraction is going to help deliver that alpha or deliver that, that performance into your portfolio. Then you have to sit down and say, okay, now it's really easy for me to do it on myself because I inherently know what level of risk I want to have, right? It's easy for you to do it, but, when you, but you have to understand the risk pool, right? You have to understand the type of risk. And, and what I mean by that is when we sit down with clients, we'll, we'll educate them on risk. I will, uh, I will extract from them their understanding of risk because I see clients all the, I see people all the time say, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm uh, pretty, pretty moderate. I don't want to have a lot of risk and everything. And I look at what they're holding. And I go, well, Very guess risky. What? <laughs> guess what? Okay. You're, you're not anywhere aligned to what you're talking about. Okay. Mm. And, and in, and in times when the markets are, 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 have been under pressure, like we've seen the last year or so, people say, oh, I want to go really conservative. I want to go really conservative. And when markets get, 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 you know, get going again, they say, oh, I don't care about the risk. I want to let it roll. And, and, and you don't change your risk tolerance level based off of the markets there. Things revert back to the mean, okay, and you got to stay in line. And, and one of the things that, that people misunderstand is you're not in competition with the stock market. You're in competition with your financial plan. Mm-hmm. If your financial plan, Chris, says based off of what you want to do and all the things that you're trying to accomplish, you need to get about a 6.5% rate of return, then why do you want to take the risk to get an 11% rate of return? Yeah. Okay? It just doesn't make sense. And you can break all these things out and, and really take a good look at it. You can do a corn explore where you've got 80% of your money trying to get that 65 and then maybe 20% trying to get you know swing for the fences. There's all different types of iterations to this entire thing. But to get back to answering your question, you know, you've got to understand what your risk acceptance level is. I call it the sleep test. If you're laying in bed at night and you're awake going, man, i got too much risk, you got to fix it. Or if you're going, I'm not getting enough growth, you got to fix that too. So, so that's why going all the way back here is uh, to the original part of this, this conversation is you've got to review your financial plan. The advisor's got to match up the investments appropriately enough through your financial plan with what your objectives are. Mm-hmm. We, we look at these plans all the time. Matter of fact, you go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, and you can click on uh, well, right there on the first page. There's a video, I think, in the bottom right-hand corner, something like that. That just gives a little two-minute demonstration of a, of a properly structured financial plan and, and pretty much how it works. So, so again, you know, it's open mic Saturday. It always is, which I like. <laughs> uh, I get lots of questions during the week. We get people uh, emailing in all the time asking for this thing we talked about, that thing we talked about. We've had a couple questions from the email bag today. 
Uh, one of them is, is, you know, how do stop losses work? Oh, that's a fun one. I like that. Yep, how do stop losses work? And when you take a look at stop losses, first of all, stop losses. It, it does what it says it's going to do. It's going to stop your losses, okay? So let's suppose you bought a stock, say, at, at uh, well, let me do math easy. Let's say the stock's trading at $100 a share. And you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to buy this stock, okay? And the first rule of thumb is whenever you buy stock that day, it goes down, right? Okay? So, no, I'm just kidding. But, but you buy the stock at $100 a share, and you say, listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to lose uh, on this investment. Nobody does, really. But you say, is there a way I can put some protection underneath that price? And, yes, you can put a stop loss under there. So let's let's say we put a stop loss at 95, uh, uh, and and the stock is trading at 100. So that's a five percent loss. So if you bought the stock today at 100 dollars a share, and boom, it goes down to 93 dollars a share the next day, it would kick you out automatically at 95. Mm -hmm. So you'd save. You wouldn't go all the way down, right? But you'd save. Okay. But here's the issue. Let's suppose you bought the stock at $100 a share and you put a stop loss in at, at $95 or 5% down. And the stock went the other way. It went up. It went to 105, 110. Four months later, it's sitting there at 125. And you're going, this is the greatest thing ever, right? You know, you love the stock. And all of a sudden, it starts to come back down again. And it goes back to 115, 120. It goes down to 92. And it kicks you out at 95. Well, your stop loss worked, okay, but, you know, that's kind of the... You lost banging, a lot of money in the run there. Yeah, that's kind of banging the head against the brick wall scenario yeah. because if you would have put on what's called a trailing stop loss, so back in the... So remember, there's two types. There's a stop loss, then there's a trailing stop loss, and then there's soft and hard. We'll get into that later. So there's a stop loss and a trailing stop loss. A trailing stop loss will work very similar, but it trails. In other words, when the stock goes from, from 100 to 110, your, your $5 stop loss will go up to 105. When the stock goes to 120, your stop loss will trail up to 115. So when it rolls over and starts to come back down, it punches you out at 115 rather than letting you go all the way back down to 95 again. Mm -hmm. It's a trailing stop loss. So there's a couple different ways to go about doing stop losses. These are one of the, one of the questions here. So, so you know, do you want a, 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 a hard stop loss or a soft one? A hard one is it's coded into the system. If it hits that number, it punches you out. A soft one is you keep track of it and you watch it daily because sometimes stocks need to have room to breathe for different reasons. Let's suppose you take a stock like, uh, General Motors doesn't tr doesn't go up and down a whole lot versus a technology stock which goes up and down all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So so the the room that a GM stock okay uh, would need to move might just be a few dollars a share, whereas a technology stock might be ten or fifteen dollars a share. So you need to have that stock have different widths of stop losses on it. So when we do stop losses or stop or trailings for uh, trailing stop losses for clients. We look at one, two, three times standard deviation for it all. We have a whole formula we go through. Yeah. Anyway, it's just another different way. It's a more efficient way to really look at doing things like that. So, so. what happens though? What happens if, uh, for example, uh, you have a bad day in the stock market? Because it happens, right? Well, you have one bad day, 
everything drops down, and then it comes right back up the next day. Well, that's the disadvantage of having your stop-loss parameters too tight. Yeah. So if you have a stock that, that's trading at $100 a share, and typically its breathing room goes from uh, $100 up to one, 111 down to 93 in that zone, you want to put that stop-loss just a little bit lower than that 93 so that it can have it, it can move with in its normal standard deviation it's, it's normal day. up and down okay that's what you want to do gotcha so and and we run a whole spreadsheet on it all and calculate it all so so um so hey that's one question you all asked me with i'm going to hit you with another question again <laughs> self-examining questions right again how comfortable are you on a scale one to ten one the most uh, uh, uncomfortable and ten the most comfortable we talked about buy sell decision process what about your understanding of your tax treatment on all of your investments while you own the investment while the investments growing at distribution of the investment and if you have to pass that investment on to an heir how confident are you in the tax treatment of your investments one the least confident, 10 the most confident. That is the biggest question, too, when it comes to investing, that tax stuff. I am telling you, when we show people how to minimize taxes on things, it just adds a little bit of growth net to their bottom line in their pocket, definitely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to get a copy of these uh, questions, what we call them self-examining questions, um, you know, then, then uh, feel free to give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123, or go visit the website, LarryRosenthal.com, and and shoot us off an email there. We'll be happy to, to send you out some of these questions. So, um, you know, another question that, that I got was was uh, this past uh, recently was, you know, the kids are grown, uh, family's taken care of, kids are grown out of the house, family's taken care of. What do I do with these old life insurance policies, right? So got lots of good questions uh, recently here. What do I do with these old life insurance policies? Well, you can you can cash them in if you needed to. You can possibly in some pl some some cases stop your premium payments, call the insurance company and see if if there's no longer premium payments required and you've just got a policy there. You can you can uh, still keep them and use them as a state tax-free transfer money that comes in. There's a whole lot you can donate them to a charity. There's a whole lot of things that you can do with your old life insurance policies if you're past that stage in life where you say, hey, family's okay, I probably don't need these anymore. You know, But before you make any changes, please sit down, let's take a look at it because there's a lot of tax-free money that comes from the death benefit of, of a life insurance policy. So, so make sure that we uh, uh, examine all that. So, And then I'll hit you up with one more question here. How confident are you? Uh, on your cash flow needs in retirement, right? In your retirement. Are you comfortable at, at today's level in, in retirement income coming in, tax efficiencies of it, maintaining your standard of living? That can only be answered in a, in a financial plan. So, hey, appreciate the calls today and lots of the emails coming in, uh, which is uh, good, good news. We're happy to send you all out all that information. Stay tuned. We'll be announcing our April webinars coming up here soon for you. And we've done lots of these. We had uh, one on charitable giving, uh, I think it was last week. 
Lots of people from all over the country attended that. So uh, for Bob in the back answering the phones today and Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Go visit us at LarryRosenthal.tv on YouTube each week to see how we live stream the show. We'll be back next Saturday with another session of Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show. Until then, God bless and have a wonderful week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.